0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be the turn of the singer, songwriter, guitarist and author. It is Mickey Berenyi, one-time member of Lush, and he's now in the band Paroshka. She's got a book out titled Fingers Crossed. This is going to be out on 9-8 Books at the end of September 2022. It's a classic, so check it out and buy it. This is the interview, so we're going to get right down to it. So after several minutes of interesting, casual chat, we got down to the the reason for writing the book now. Mickey's going to tell you more and um, lots of other stuff, so do take notes. Anyway, Mickey, tell us about writing this book. It's over to you.
1: I think what happened was... Because I was, um, before, like when Lush were going and even with the reunion, I wasn't on social media at all, right? So when I started Peroshka, I thought, well, I'm going to have to get, you know, we've got to have some sort of social media profile. So I started posting kind of bit cynically, putting Lush pictures up and stuff from the past with little kind of little anecdotes and things. Um, so as I built up a following, I was getting loads of people going, oh, you should write a book, you know, and that was kind of a constant. And I was yes. like, yeah, 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 that's not going to happen. But then I think with um, – basically I got approached by the publisher who was setting up this 9-8 books at Bonnier. So he was actually looking for a roster of kind of, you know, first year of of, you know, this imprint. So he approached me and I was like – initially just thought God, no no way I'm just not interested but then I kind of lost my job and then lockdown was like fast approaching yes and I just thought all right well maybe I'll have a cra- <laughs> maybe I'll have a crack at it but um I had to think about it for quite a long time and I did sort of you know because I just thought I've never done I- the thought of writing a whole bloody book um was just really daunting I'm not a writer I've been a sub-editor but that's not the same thing at all, and. Um, so and I just was quite worried because, you know, I mean, I don't talk to Emma or Phil anymore, you know, it's sort of it's quite tricky to be writing about a period that you know they were so heavily involved in. I'm I'm aware of how difficult that can be on the person being written about, especially when you don't talk to them anymore. So there's clearly some animosity there, you know. And I wasn't really interested in writing. I mean, I did say from the outset, I'm not really interested in writing some sort of high times of rock and roll and my fabulous life in Lush. It's just that just really doesn't interest me. Um, but as I started writing a lot of the childhood stuff, I got kind of really immersed in that. And then I think um, you know, uh, Peter was like, actually go with this because it's really good. So over half the book is is before even Lush.
0: Yes, well, I, absolutely. I mean that—that's the bit that I suppose gives it such a lot of gravitas, really, because you do go into such detail. And your family, are, um, my God, your family—you—you you didn't have a great childhood, did you? It was not—it's not a happy story at all. Even the mention of the Wombles doesn't I mean, bring that much happiness.
1: I mean. I- doesn't sound too grim because I think there was some kind of quite, it, it, it was more extreme than anything. Look, you know, I I know my parents split up and there was all sorts of disruption and neglect and there was, you know, abuse. or and, and I'm not minimising that. But at the same time, you know, I was from quite a middle-class background. There were certain privileges. My parents were really fucking good fun, right? They are absolutely you know really interesting at people so there's a kind of like you know it's the sort of two extremes of it i wouldn't you know if anyone said to me like god would you have rather have grown up in a completely different environment i think well yeah there's bits that i could have done without but at the same time that's kind of what happens to you isn't it like you just get through that crap and it makes you the person that you are
0: yes yes well, it's it is yeah, I guess so. I mean, it is it is kind of extreme, and then you'll you sort of the, the the role of the band as well, and and how you go into that. So, when you were writing about your childhood, had you buried quite a lot of that stuff? That um you started to sort of unpick, or was it still very fresh in your mind? Because obviously you went from childhood to being in a band, which again isn't really very good for your health on any certain level. So had that <laughs> was that kind of material that you'd slightly forgot about, or you know, I just wondered if as the writing process began, you suddenly began I'm to
1: it's not really. Because I I talk a lot about that and have done over the years. Do you know what I mean? I do sort of lots of my friends know about my background, and I have chat But you know, there were bits where I had to suddenly think, actually, this isn't just an anecdote. I need to be really honest about some of this stuff. So I think that kind of you know surfaced more. But you know, I'm I'm used to talking about you know my mad parents and some of the sort of more extremes of of what my childhood involved with close friends and boyfriends, things like that, you know? So it wasn't like I was sort of opening up some dusty box and thinking, Oh my God, you know what I mean? What happened to me? It was more about trying to write it in a way that didn't sound too pity me that conveyed what was actually sometimes just quite a fun and exciting life as well. And, you know, and I just, and I don't know, I kind of I actually sort of find writing about other people more interesting. So trying to convey what these, these sort of personalities in my life were like, which I hope I've achieved because it it's as much about what fascinating people they were, you know.
0: Yes. I mean, an amazing story, but both your parents and then your step parents and Nora appears. I mean, they, for someone who's so young. You know, you did very well to sort of manoeuvre through those kind of issues and then sort of a life in London, a bit of a life in L.A., and and school as well, which is never that easy either. So, and during that period, because because some of the language you know you use about sort of which kind of all comes back about what you know kids would talk to you know how they would talk to each other, it's it's kind of like wow, yes, of course, I remember that that sort of world of. Um, I think the only thing you didn't mention was four eyes. That was the other one. Any kid with glasses always got insulted as well, didn't you? But you got all the others yes, in there. I
1: think I think I mentioned that somewhere else. Just being called that myself because i was wearing glasses i mean you know i think and i get that you know the times then were you know it was pretty racist you know what i mean and and people didn't see any harm in kind of being racist because i think it was all over the telly as well you know mm. sorts of slanderous terms were just used but i don't i think you know like I say in the book, there's so many insults. Everyone's insults. It's not just race. It's weight. It's intellect. It's, you know, boys being called, you know, puffs and girls being called lesbo. And you know what I mean? It's like whatever. You couldn't exist without having some sort of, you know, rubbish attached to you. So it didn't feel like, oh, everyone else gets off school. Yes, party. this and, is you know, true. The, the kind of few sort of different race people get like absolutely harangued it just wasn't like that and there's a bit of me that doesn't I do worry sometimes about sort of over dramatizing the effect of some of those sort of things yeah it wasn't great do you know what I mean but I never personally suffered you know, really terrible sort of racism of being kind of excluded or looked down on or anything like that. I'm sure plenty did, but I just wanted to sort of yes. take the whole picture. You know, I know.
0: Well, I think yes. I mean, sometimes, yeah, some people suffer worse than others. So, when you were growing up, did you ever want to be in a band? Was that one of your dreams? Because you you sort of talk about getting you know, listen to music and and sort of obviously go into a lot of gigs. But, um, you know, the introduction of a musical instrument and thinking, yes, I'm not going to just be a fan, I'm going to stand on, go onto the stage. Did, was that ever a, a dream during the 70s?
1: Not really. I mean, I think my mum, you know, was in acting. So, you know, that always seemed like, oh, maybe I could become an actress. But to be honest, I kind of faded out with that quite quickly because I just realised in the way that she was typecast and, You know, being an actor is so reliant on, you know, the the point you have to reach to actually be able to do what you want to do and actually be in something, you know, just requires so much hoop jumping that I don't think I could have taken the rejection. I was quite aware of that. Whereas being in a band, you've just got that control, even if you don't get anywhere, you know, you write the songs, you perform them. Do you know what I mean? No one's kind of testing you to see if you can even be a part of it. And I think... As much as I would have dreamed of, like, would have been great to have been, you know, Debbie Harry or, or, you know, Even Poison Ivy playing bass in The Cramps, you know, I'd be like, oh, my God, that would be amazing. But it just seemed a completely unattainable goal. So it really wasn't until I started going to gigs and then seeing smaller and smaller and smaller bands where you realise that, well, you know, there's some support band at the Hope and Anchor and there's 40 people here. They're not very good, but they look like they're having a really good laugh. and. You know, I think that's where me and Emma felt, well, I think we could have a crack at that. I mean, you know what I mean? So I I do think the sort of overspill of punk rock with that kind of anyone can have a go that was more the inspiration. And it was also a scene that we were involved in. We were going to like five gigs a week, you know, and gigs back then were like a pound to get in or something. Yes. And, you know, we were immersed in that scene and everyone was in a band. Everyone was in a band, you know what I mean?
0: Yes, I think there will be deal. there will be a musical, isn't there? Camden the musical will come out. <laughs> I think, is it Charles? Well, who's the poet? There's the punk poet who's going to do, is it Rehab the musical or something that's based on Britpop? I don't know. Oh,
1: God, really?
0: Yes, I can't remember his name now, but remember the million-pound poet who came out and um, I've got the book somewhere near me, but not, not that close. Yes, Charles, not Charles Charles Murray, but the other guy who's got a very beautiful voice and talks. He used to support people like My Life Story for a while and got the million pound and it's like wow that's amazing and then it all goes terribly wrong as all these things do but i think he's doing rehab the musical which i thought was based a little bit on Britpop. pop i might be making all that that might have been a, just a dream but then you were in your a small band bugs weren't you and then lush did what that stage did you sort of because obviously as you mentioned the smiths in 83 because the indie pop world 83 to 87 it was a glorious period wasn't it the smiths and then 87 oh they split up then ecstasy comes along and the musical landscape changes quite a bit what was it like forming a band during that period because you you know it was just things were shifting quite a lot during that that part end of the decade wasn't it
1: yeah i mean i think in the in the kind of 80s you know pre lush forming it was It was very vibrant. I don't think we realised at the time, you know, when you're born into this scene, you just think it's like that all the time. You know, you don't really appreciate that, that this might just be a moment. So being able to see, as I say, the Smiths in Norwich in 1983 with just 50 people there and, it's a laugh. You know, we didn't have to buy tickets like three months in advance. And, no. You know, you could just rock up on the night and decide if you want it to go. And it was just all a bit loose. So there was always gigs on. There was gigs every night. Cheap, cheap beer. It was built for like a massive amount of unemployed people at the time. And there was this really thriving kind of scene College, you know, sort of student gigs where it was again really cheap, subsidized. bus. so, even though you hadn't didn't have any money, there was a whole kind of entertainment structure there. I mean, how you just wouldn't be able to do that now, you know, paying 28 quid for a gig and drinks are like eight quid. I mean, forget it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yes, absolutely. No, it, like it, it, design, it
1: was really built for people who had no money. that's what
0: it was for. Well, uh, the great thing with the book is that you mentioned so many bits from from our childhood, from Stick Stick of the Dump, which is a classic, isn't it, to Job Seeker's Allowance, which was also, no, the Enterprise Allowance Scheme, I think you mentioned. So a lot of the bands from that 80s period and probably into the 90s had, you know, unemployment, which wasn't a bad, it wasn't ever looked upon as a bad thing. It was like almost a sort of career move, wasn't it, just go unemployed, get your Job Seeker's Allowance or whatever. Get your house and benefit you know, council tax and £40 in the bank. It was positively living the high life. So it did encourage a lot of people to have a go for a year or two because it was like, well, there's not not much else happening in Thatcher's Britain. So it was a perfect time for, for you and the band. And also you, as you mentioned, the gatekeeper were kind of in slightly the gatekeepers, because you had all the every city in town had an alternative indie night, didn't they? And then you had John Peel, and then you had three weekly music papers. With huge circulation, so it didn't take much to suddenly get a bit of traction. Going, blimey, people know us in other places, which was which was great. And and lush just did take off. You were the kind of the perfect band, really, at that time.
1: I mean, we weren't. We were pretty ropey. <laughs> you know, we were really not great musicians. I mean, Chris was a really good drummer, Um and Muriel when she was singing with us before I took over I mean she had a really lovely voice but you know we were just quite under rehearsed we weren't very competent we were still learning we were still writing our first songs and and trying to make the dust settle on the band so things happened very quickly and I think it was even signing to 4AD that you know it was suddenly like just everything sped up really quickly because I mean I think I by I think I played my first gig as singer with the so it was the four of us around the end of kind of, uh, would it have been ATA? And by the following summer, we were signed to 4AD. I mean, literally barely been going, you know what I mean? It's not like that. I think back then, if you came from Norwich or somewhere more regional, you know, you had a chance to sort of be the local band and play for a bit before there was any press interest or labels. You know, it took a while to sort of build that up for yourself, but it gave you the chance to actually get quite good You know, before you even thought of playing a London show. Well, of course, London was where we lived, so all our shows were in London. All Emma was working with Jeff Barrett, who did the press for kind of Creation and um, Factory. So the second we played our first gig, it was like people from the industry were sort of around and journalists. So it was just really, really rapid, and and that was great. In one reset the respect, because I do wonder, we were in our last year at North London Poly, and I do wonder whether Chris would have gone back up north. You know, everyone would have drifted off because they would have had to get jobs. Yes. So it was literally me and Chris and Steve did our finals at North London Poly, and literally we went from that to recording Scar that summer. So although it was it was a bit quick in that we were probably not quite deserving of the attention we were getting at that point. At the same time, you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't Do you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe Lush just wouldn't have gone on after that.
0: I think with all these all bands that make it, obviously we don't really hear the ones who don't, there is this kind of almost the stars do line up, don't they, in that brief moment. And it's like, oh, my goodness, it's going to happen, whereas sometimes it's just like, no, nope, that didn't quite happen. That's a shame. But it is, it's is—it's amazing how fragile it is when you look back at most the, the way most bands form and the fact that they get that little break and then they start moving a little bit forward. Because there's obviously, you know, it is a lot of chance meetings and a bit of luck. But obviously you've got to be there at the at the right time to make and I, and it happen. I think
1: it's also the environment. You know, I do think that it's it's sort of, you know, being a student back then even... And getting a grant. And, you know, we we, weren't living like like millionaires, you know, most people were squatting and they were living in really crappy sort of rental accommodation. You didn't have much money at all to spend. But like I say, that environment, cheap gigs, you know, you you could get by and it bought you a couple of years to sort of think, well, you know, to at least have a go. And I I'm not sure that environment exists anymore anymore. Because, you know, and and you know, it sounds bad like, oh my god, you were just sponging off the dole and whatever. But you know, in a political sense, I would argue that a lot of these people went on to generate a lot of, you know, tax money. Yes, but, you know what I mean. People did actually go on to form careers from having that breathing space to actually make you know to start off whether they're promoters whether they're you know kind of journalists whether they became bands or sound engineers or studio producers all of that kind of you know sort of was born out of that very vibrant kind of creative scene where there just wasn't much money about and okay you signed on for a bit but I think it actually was you know a really positive thing and plenty of people I knew who were in bands were like, you know, they did it for a year and then they went off and became a doctor or, you know, they went on to very, very good careers.
0: Yes, absolutely. No, I'd sort of, i met a few people who are, you know, we were squatting in London. I think this was a, a member of Thatcher on acid. And he said, oh yeah, I am still doing a, my degree and I became a GP eventually. But, you know, you're squatting. But then the, one of the main things is that you didn't end up with any debt. You might, You may not have had money, but you didn't have any debt, which was like, okay, exactly. hey, I've got a clear start. So I don't have any you know a bill or interest rates to pay which is I think is such a relief and luckily at that age you probably still maybe you got your health so one thing that's really boggling in the book and it did make me laugh kind of coming from sort of East Anglia but you always seem to sort of meet very quite even on your way up quite famous people and famous boyfriends and stuff like that like <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you all, there was, you know, everyone seemed to be, you know, kind of, oh, yes, they're famous. Oh, they're even more famous. Oh, they were famous. So it's quite amazing that kind of, did you, did you smile when you were writing some of the, you know, you know, relationships down thinking, God, oh, yeah, I did. Me and him were there for a couple of days on the stairwell. I mean,
1: I just think that no one really... This is why I think the Britpop era sort of so baffled me, because I was very used to being on a scene where, yeah, you know, there's lots of people who are really creative. They don't really think of themselves as famous. Do you know what I mean? I don't think Billy Childish thinks of himself as someone who needs a limo to drop him off at a gig. Do you know what I mean? And Or would ever want that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I just think that... I just, you know, I mean, I don't know. I I just, it didn't really occur to me that, oh, you know, I used to know like such and such before they were fair. Well, everybody did. You know, it was a big scene. You know, I'm sure if you talk to anyone from that scene, they've got loads of names that they could mention because those people were just there. There was just a very, very thriving underground scene. Whether you were going, if you were going to see My Bloody Valentine, like I say, it would be a quid to get in. It wasn't some fancy vip area with a guest list and only two people get to go backstage it's just happening in some crappy college and they're yes. mingling and hoiking their gear in and out i mean it's there's no starry kind of you know oh i'm an important person they're just no. a more of a pub you know? <laughs> <It's>
0: like... <laughs> well i know well i remember them at the art center and silverfish were supporting and again it's like oh yes they're good they're a good band you know and again you know they end up having five years and You know, and Leslie goes on to do an amazing solo career as well. So, yeah, you know, and it was probably £2 to get in or some ridiculously overinflated, or 150 probably. But did you, I mean, reading the book, because there's the London scene and the camp, you know, the North London world that looks very exciting. But then when you start talking about your American experience, that sounds quite hideous. Almost, I haven't seen the film, but Woodstock 99 is one of those ones that does sound kind of brutal and you were hanging out with people that egos, The you know, they weren't Kevin Shields, were they? Or, you know, they weren't the English kind of introspective, slightly embarrassed quality. They were just massive men with massive egos.
1: I mean, that was very, very much, you know, I suppose with the Lollapalooza, there was a bit of that. Honestly, 90% of the people on, on that tour, I thought were great. Do you know what I mean? And America, I think what's different is they were, it, it was somehow more like they took their music more seriously. There was a kind of, but it was still quite down at heel. I mean, the Flaming Lips were touring in a minibus, you know what I mean? And and Babes in Toyland were real muckers in. I mean, there was no kind of starry attitude. I think it was, Lollapalooza was very different because it was just this kind of real, my first experience of that level of kind of you know money and organization and huge just sort of stadiums and this that and the other but it's necessarily like that and actually most of the people were very down to earth and not like that at all I think what I could see is by the time you know we were in our last year and there's those kind of radio festivals and stuff like that I could see that sort of what would become that kind of Woodstock 99 stuff sort of creeping in like you could see that kind of corporate invasion because when we did Lollapalooza alternative music was still alternative music right an underground and then it just I think up post kind of you know probably sort of nirvana and things like that you know not that I'm blaming them but I think that's when the money men realized that there was real proper money to be made here and they just pounced on it and I think that just changed the whole kind of you know the whole setup, and even the way the fans were treated, and and do you know what I mean? And the bands were just a production line. Like I just felt like it's this is all about, and like no one's really interested in the money. It's uh, the the band or the music,
0: right?
1: It's all about you know hits, big tour, what throw stuff against the wall, whatever sticks, you go with. Everything else is just swept aside. I just. Not my world, you know. I went into music for a lot of you know, my tribe, and it's a bit over romanticized, but that kind of your tribe, your people, your kind of you know, creatives and people who don't give a crap about that sort of stuff, like limos and groupies and all of that. This that's the stuff we were rejecting, and suddenly that all came into
0: yes. It did, it did sound very testosterone. When you were writing the book about Lush, did you? find yourself having to reprocess that experience of Lush the the early years after because you had the reunion which didn't go terribly well. Did you did Lush become a like over that period over the you know the after night at 15. Did it feel like a subject that you never wanted to think about again and then doing the book you were able to process and look at some of the nicer times and the more innocent moments of when the band were first getting together.
1: I mean it's quite difficult to write about that stuff when you know what's coming you know it does cast a bit of a pull and you know the reunion I mean to be honest the reunion was a real success in terms of you know actually what Lush did and putting us back on the map and it was great it was just the personal stuff that was difficult and so looking back at kind of Lush's early history even you know it's quite... (laughs) You know, once you know how those relationships are going to collapse, it was quite difficult to sort of try and just reset to, you know, I mean, To, to what it was like when we were sort of all really good mates and everything was was brilliant. I'm not sure I entirely succeeded. And partly because, like I said, I didn't. You know, I kind of think. Look, take it as read that you know you only have to look at a handful of interviews or see us playing or whatever. You can tell that we got on. We were friends. Do you know what I mean? We've got a long history and all of that. But I do find it a bit dull reading books that are, you know, don't really. I I just think it's more. <laughs> This might be my personality. I just think it's more interesting to hear about the trials and the tribulations and how you got through them and what's kind of, that's more amusing than bragging about how amazing you were and how every gig you played, people were like throwing themselves at you and, you know, and, oh, we had we were such great mates and it was good fun. I know, it's like lovely to remember that, but it just doesn't, I think it makes for quite boring reading. So I do worry that it's a little bit you know, underbelly heavy. Um, but I just think that's more interesting and funnier, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, there is there is, there is those elements. It was just that the fact that reading the book, it, it sounds like towards that that, when the band finishes the first time, that everybody is just exhausted and is just looking to need a sleep, really. Did you, looking back, feel that, you know, the last album and the last kind of moments before it kind of finished... You know, you was it quite hard work being in the band at that stage?
1: I mean, it was always hard work being in the band. It's just that, you know, the hard work can be enjoyable when it's, you know, you're, um, I mean, look, you know, going to America and you're with your mates and you've got a crew and you're in different city every night and it's really, really good fun and making records is great. You know, it is work, but it's really enjoyable. I think what happened is probably a bit of a perfect storm. I mean, you know, we were, me and Emma were kind of like, and Chris was sort of, you know, turning 30 or about to. It's quite a tricky age. You, st- you know, it starts to wear a bit thin, being mm-hmm. away from home for like six months of the year and slogging around different countries. And, you know, that is the age where you start to worry about, well, hang on a minute, you know, it was all very well doing this in my 20s for bugger all money. But, you know, you start to think about whether you want to have children, you know, how you're going to be able to pay to settle down. I mean, the thought of touring. I know certain women like Kristen Hirsch always did it. The idea of going on tour with my children would have just been anathema. There's absolutely no way I could have done that. So it's a bit of a life change time. I think the whole, like I say, the whole of that industry had changed. 4AD had changed. There was so much going on around us. And that treadmill that expectation of of just play, 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 play until you get a hit. Hits, hits, hits. That was the Britpop thing. Mm. Right, a hit. It needs to get on top of the pops. It needs to get in the charts. Well, that was never what 4AD was about before that. I think that, you know, that's partly why Ivo got out. Like, the whole industry just started to change in a way that he didn't recognise. And, um and I, I didn't really, I, none of us really liked that. And you're made to feel like a bit of a loser for not wanting that, for not being really hungry for that. It's just a completely, you know, it's not, if, if, I'd have, if that's what the music industry had been when I was 16, 17, 18, and when me and Emma first decided to start a band, I wouldn't have done it. Mm. If that had been the environment, I just wouldn't have done it. I'd have done something else.
0: Yes, but obviously, I mean, it's just that you know, there's quite a few, you know, really grim moments in the book. But Chris is obviously one of those ones which is just kind of heartbreakingly sad. I mean, I just wondered how you kind of process that over, not just the time, but now looking back on it, and just you know, it's you know, I know, I think Amelia Fletcher, her brother you know, who was in the band Heavenly, you know, he killed himself. And it, I just wondered how you sort of navigate through that kind of episode, you know, yourself, and then having to sort of write about it again.
1: Actually, was Amelia in... She's not the one who was in Tallulah Gosh, is she? Yes,
0: so she was in Tallulah Gosh and then Heavenly, and Do you then... you know
1: what? Because at the time of Chris's death, I think I actually corresponded with her a bit, and, yeah... I think I wrote. I think her mother. I wrote to her mother, and she wrote back. Says, so "Yeah, there was. That was yeah. I'd sort of forgotten about that. Um, I mean, it was such a awful, awful time. I think looking back again, you know, it's not like I've ever stopped really talking about it or thinking about Chris. So writing about it wasn't, um, kind of like um. What what am I trying to say? It wasn't like I'm like going back and thinking about something that I hadn't thought about in 25 years or whatever, but trying to sort of convey the rawness of how it felt right then was I don't want to sound melodramatic, but I was sitting here like for a week sobbing. You know, every time Moose came back from work, I'd be sitting here like, oh God, <laughs> I'm sort of wailing, and he'd be like giving me a hug. Because it was just really just so terrible to remember, you know, that time and the suddenness of it and remembering how it affected everyone, you know, and I didn't want it to be a kind of, you know, I think it was just so important to get Chris's personality over in the rest of the book, you know, And what a great bloke he was, but a flawed bloke, like all of us. Yes. Like, so that you kind of feel like you know him a bit before that terrible thing happens. And I think because that is not who he was. I think sometimes people look back at Chris and they go, oh, my God, the tragic drummer from Lush who, you know, took his own life. That's not who he was. That was just this terrible, terrible day. You know what I mean? And it's it's sort of without wanting to remove the impact of that clearly but also not just defining him by that moment I thought I just felt was really important.
0: Yes did you when when you were asked to do the book you know your use you, I think you said your initial response was no way was it was it kind of not wanting to go back in it or did you, or was it this sort of thinking god oh, that would be really difficult because as you said the 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 members of the band don't really communicate and there's probably stuff that would be a bit tricky did that was that um something that you had to work out and navigate how you're going to sort of try and write a good book about your life and the band while not sort of unearthing all these other issues that came up
1: i mean yeah i had to tread quite carefully um I think, I mean, to be honest with you, the initial reason I didn't want to do it is because I just thought no one would be bloody interested. I mean, I was really like, who the fuck is going to care that Mickey from Lush has written a book, really? Um, But it was the publisher that was convincing, oh, there's like, you know, lots of music books now. People in all sorts of obscure bands are writing books. So I thought, okay, fair enough. You know what I mean? But as you say, I just... You know, I think when I first, the sample chapter they asked me to write to see, you know, whether they were genuinely going to be interested, I wrote about Lollapalooza. And I and I think when I first wrote it, there was still a lot of what ends up in the book, but Peter, the publisher, did come back to me and says, yes, you're very nice about everyone. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> is he <laughs> saying I'm being too nice? And there is a temptation, you know, that you don't want to upset anyone. So you feel like... <clears throat> You just end up sort of whitewashing everyone, really. And I thought, well, actually, that's not really how it was, you know. And 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 I'm not even saying revealing anything terrible about them, but even just sort of little petty things, which I do actually think bring those characters more to life. Yes. Those are the more interesting things. Everybody knows Eddie Vedder's a lovely guy. Everybody knows blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? And actually just reiterating that the whole time. it's it's just a bit name droppy because then it just becomes oh yeah look at me I had a conversation with you know Mark Gardner from Ride or yeah I hung out with the flaming you know what I mean so unless you've got something interesting to say it doesn't have to be nasty but I just thought you know there were sort of little quirky moments that I think you know I hope no one's offended I hope no one in the book sort of thinks like oh my god I can't believe she said that about me but you know I think people are probably a bit thin-skinned I don't know how I'd react if someone wrote about me like that so I'm not even going to say like you know
0: I think it but, is yeah it's probably it's a bit surreal I guess isn't it when you see yourself and go oh interesting Someone's- Well, you know
1: because actually you when you meet people and most of these people you meet quite briefly you know what I mean <clears throat> on one tour you know you might spend sort of nine weeks in close contact with them but after that it's sort of pretty you know rare And that person, you know, the way I was writing about a lot of these people was just how they were at that time. They might be completely different people. They might have been totally different even then to a different person. How they responded to me might be as much my fault as theirs if it's a negative experience. Do you know what I mean? And I just think, you know, the one thing I worry about this book coming out is people sort of taking things out of context and going like, oh, I knew they were a, a Blood, dickhead or whatever and that's not what the book is it really isn't it's yes I might have had like brushes with people where you go oh my god that sounds awful but that was that person in those five minutes that I met them you know yes. I'm not into sort of like some me too kind of terrible revelations of people so that they could be buried it's absolutely not
0: <laughs> well I guess it actually the, the time when Lush were at you know your, your sort of pop pop stardom or whatever that is, Um, it was when the lad culture was at its height as well. So there was a lot of kind of um, lads had sort of become to the fore again, hadn't they, the loaded generation with, you know, champagne, cocaine and sort of acting. Because I do remember a documentary where you talk about um, Alex James biting your bum and thinking, God, that was a bit tacky, wasn't
1: it? (laughs) I mean, to be fair to him, I think he texted Emma after that, that was screened apologising um I don't think he could I I certainly don't think he remembered it but he he was he did apologise but I did think well 20 years too late but never mind anyway but (laughs) but you know I think and I do think the problem I had with that a lot of that lad culture look I get it loads of people had a good time but it kind of like made it acceptable to behave in a certain way that actually just really pissed me off other people maybe it didn't bother them in fact I know it didn't bother a lot of people but I just found again I went into music not that everyone was really po-faced and right on in the 80s but you know there was a understanding that we are the alternative. Like big rock stars might act like that, mm. but we don't. This is a different world, okay, and there's a certain way of behaving. Not that not that there was not bad behaviour then, but it was just generally sort of sneered at and look at that dickhead over there. And I think with Britpop it became like, okay, everyone can act like that. Everyone can, like, grope and go, you know, and, and sort of like, what the fuck, you know, what, what we're kind of... You know, things that you put up with in the 80s, but those were the kind of mainstream, the normies, the hooray Henrys, the bankers, yes. the wankers. Do you know what I mean? And now it was all in right there in the middle of it, you know. Um, so I, I didn't have a huge sense of humour about it.
0: Okay, no, no so... in those absolutely no you couldn't imagine the, the the crowd at the june brides being a bit rowdy and gropey could you
1: no shit yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> dear old phil wilson so when just as you were sort of bringing the book together did you or did your um editor did you sort of go oh shall we do the reunion or shall we just stop there right there and just think about that as part two if we ever do that
1: I mean, I think the reunion was very raw. I think, again, you know, I if I wrote about it, I would have to write about it warts and all, and I just don't think that. I think it would cause too many problems. And I think the other thing, to be honest, that stops me from writing about a later period is that, I, you know, I've got kids and they, you know, one of my kids is like, don't mention me ever. And the other one is like totally fine about it. But I still think I'm not comfortable. Talking yes. about them Too much. Do you know what I mean? Like, who knows how they'll feel in, in a decade? And I, I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable. But yes, I think the reunion was just too raw. It. I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty good story. But <laughs> like, it would just cause way too many problems, I think. Yeah. Yes.
0: I was wondering how you were going to I did notice in in a way the book, you know, that Phil doesn't get a lot of chat. He just gets a couple of very quick mentions and just move on and I just wondered if that was kind of just being diplomatic.
1: Um, possibly. I mean, to be honest, I think again you know, having I chose to wrote about to write about like recording spooky in some detail Um, I didn't really want to sit there and revisit every album we did and unless it was funny like the split stuff I just thought was funny rather than kind of like oh yeah and this is how we recorded that and blah 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 and this is when he played that bass line and this that and the other so I think a lot of by the by the time you get Phil in the band I've kind of covered what it's like to go on tour and what it's Mm -hmm. like to be in a studio and you know what it's like to play gigs and all that so by the time he's in it's kind of a lot of that stuff is up and running so it does become a bit more about the industry as a whole mm. and you know and and kind of you know how we slotted into that rather than a sort of massive description of you know everybody's personality but yes you're right i mean i didn't want to you know i'm sure that phil might feel uncomfortable if i you know talked too much about you know I mean the good and the bad there's things about Phil that I would have loved to have written but I don't want to tread on his kind of you know personal history um so that was always a consideration you know there's stuff that I wanted to write about Emma but I just thought "Mm, I don't know if she'd be and nice stuff like I say things that I think you know would have been really interesting for people to know but I didn't want to you know i didn't want to get in some legal battlefield where it's like well you can't put this you can't put that you know and i was fucking running out of time i'm not going to lie it was getting <laughs> to the point where it was like right come on you know and i just thought i need to just you know kind of
0: so unlike putting an album out and just wondering if the critics and fans like it putting a book out do you are you having a certain how are you dealing with the one day that's going to be out there in on the on the bookshelves on amazon and in people's lives i mean yes i just wondered are you preparing yourself for this moment
1: yes i'm mostly spending it in a deep state of panic actually and drinking quite a lot to numb that um <laughs> i yeah i don't i i don't know what it's like to have a book out i don't know what it's like to sit there and do q and a's about your book i don't know what it's like to i don't know what reviewers are like you know, whether they put the boot in or they're... I, I have no idea. This is all new territory for me. So I tend to always fear the worst, <laughs> which is why I sort well, of... Well, I guess it's I'm all good. our
0: default, isn't it? Just assume the worst and then just well, be some relieved. some
1: people don't. Some people think they're going to set the world alight, you know. I've, I've never really been like that. I've always no, thought. I
0: haven't, you know, sort of... If, if I can have a, a good night's sleep, it's a success really, isn't it? Yeah, so I just wondered how you were sort of like... God, it's all out there or you most of it is that it's in print and it's going to be I mean
1: the, the one thing I think that has really like bolstered me is that the feedback I've had that's positive off of people who have read it including kind of journalists and things is that they do really praise the writing and so I kind of feel like well if the writing stands up, you know, it's not just about the content, it's not just about, well, you're only reading this to get sort of revelations, but if it's actually a good read and interesting and well-written, that actually means quite a lot more to me. If yes. I like to, you know, because then I think it's it was a worthwhile thing to do for an artistic reason as poe faced as that sounds, <laughs> do you know what I mean?
0: Well, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things you want, in a way, you want to hope that people are going to say, yeah, well, you can write well on. Oh, that was a dreadful bit of writing. You know, I think that would be whether... What, you know, whether... Oh,
1: interesting story, but the writing's crap. You know, that would have yes. that would have been, like, not great for me, you know. And, I'd, 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 you know, I just think, you know, it's a bit like, oh, yeah, lush, interesting uh she's got red hair they look they look quite good but the music's rubbish right no one wants that right (laughs) so I feel a bit like that about the book like the writing's good and the writing's solid then I think okay great I'll take that
0: well I have to say nine eight books is I mean everyone that every book they brought out has just been really interesting so they seem to be on a very good moment don't they let's face it I mean they've all been a bit of a page turner and you know like there was another one, The World of Twists, the band, which, to be honest, I didn't really remember much about at all. And it was a, it's still a good read. So I think they've um, they've certainly picked some good subjects. So I think it's I know I I was, you know, just on the personal level, I was really mesmerized by it. And I thought the childhood stuff was just like incredible because you don't normally get that much in a book about um if it's about someone connected to music talking about that childhood, but it's like, blimey, that's that's quite the story. So I think on that level, you know, I know I, I love those sort of stories, so you know, I could, you know, fill your boots really, isn't it? But <laughs> it is good. It's, it's amazing and just very revealing. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic. So I think you must be so pleased. But good luck with it because um, it's a hell of a thing to put out there and uh, to then just experience really and realise yeah. that people will be opening it on Christmas Day.
1: Uh, yeah well ask me on like the books out on the 29th of September so you can ask me how I feel on the 30th that will be a more (laughs) accurate feedback probably at the moment I am sort of a bit fifth I mean I'm excited I am excited Um, but I just um, I literally don't know what to expect I think that's what's slightly terrifying
0: yes and just on just briefly you you are you still making music with the new band by the way
1: with Peroshka, yes. So I think you know, once this all the promo for this book is out of the way, I can I can crack on with making another Poroshka record. Fantastic! To, yeah,
0: indeed. There you go. That's me in conversation with Mickey, talking about her life in Lush, and um, as she just mentioned, new material coming out with Peroshka. But the the book that we were talking about, fingers crossed, this is out in September 2022 on nine eight books so do check it out and um, also look at the other books they're being published and this has been the c86 show david store. if you want to contact me you can on facebook twitter instagram just do c86 show also these have all been archived aren't you lucky you can find those on spotify itunes podbeam and probably elsewhere anyway have a great week and stay safe